everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Scouting Spotlight podcast on the World Football Index. I'm your host, Austin Miller, coming to you from my studio apartment in Buenos Aires that I've been in for quite some time now, joined as always by Tom Robinson. Tom, the world shuts down, but they can't shut us down, can they? <laughs> They've tried, but they... Yeah, they have failed. We're we're still going strong, and if anything, this is probably the best time to to record scouting spotlight pods because none of the players are going to have uh, uh, moved on, or or any of their stats are going to be changed. So, yeah, perfect time to sort of sit back and uh, take in some of the the continent's finest talent. Tom, as somebody who works in the travel industry, how have the past couple of weeks been for you? Great, good, sunny times, happy cheers. <laughs> uh, no, none of that. But extremely busy, but it's uh, um, yeah, it's been absolute madness. But uh, it's it's certainly given me lots to <laughs> lots to learn and, and appreciate the good times when when I eventually come round again. So yeah, I imagine it's been um, maybe not quite as um, busy for for you in in your job, but I imagine it's been uh, yeah, quite a challenging time as well. Certainly unexpected. Certainly not how I expected to be spending the past couple of weeks. But here we are. We'll make the best of it, as always. On today's show, we're going to break down Facundo Palistri, an 18-year-old attacking player for Peñarol in Uruguay. Tom, I know this is a player that you've wanted to break down for quite some time. He's a fun player to watch. I think it's fair to say he's a joy to watch. Um, what made him somebody that, that you kind of wanted to profile here, here on the podcast? Well, I think first of all, just you know, seeing someone break through from that such a esteemed academy as as the Peñarol um, academy that's produced such good players. I mean, just in recent years, you know, we've seen Fede Valverde, Nathan Nandez, Brian Rodriguez, uh, all come through, plus plus a few others there. Um, and as soon as you see a kind of eighteen-year-old getting regular game time it's it's something you know worth sitting up and taking notice and then when you actually get to watch him play he kind of you can see exactly why he's someone who's already become quite a an integral part of the first team so yeah he's he's someone that I've wanted to do for a little while um I think it's good that we've waited so he's got a little bit more of game time under his belt before going uh, straight in where when the hype was was all there from his initial debut but uh, yeah he's he's someone that um, I think could follow in the footsteps of some of those names I mentioned before and um, and be the sort of next big uh, thing to come out of uh, Peñarol. I think one of the things for me Tom that's interesting about Police 3 is number one I think it's fairly clear to see that he's not yet the finished product as a player obviously as, as so many of, the, of these players are there's there's still a lot to go for him and number two, he's somebody that you kind of have to, to watch to appreciate. And what I mean by that is his counting numbers aren't, aren't very big. He's not banging in goals. He's not racking up assists at this point. He doesn't have any experience in any of the, the Uruguayan youth teams. Obviously, as, as an 18-year-old, there's still time to, to, be, to play for the under-20s and that sort of thing. But he's really a player that you have to, to actually watch to appreciate, I think. He doesn't exactly jump off the page when you're, you know, scrolling through the the squad list in Uruguay, but when you do sit down and watch him, it's pretty clear to see what all the excitement is about because he's just, for me, he was he's just really really fun to watch. Um, he's kind of this this quick without being super fast. Um, he's just a really aesthetically pleasing player, really good with the ball at his feet, and I think the thing that sticks out the most for me, Tom, is he's just 
he seems to be really intelligent, and it's almost like he's two or three thoughts ahead of what's currently happening and, and kind of ahead of everything else that's happening around him on the pitch. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, for, for someone who's a winger, he's maybe not the typical um, sort of explosive winger that we've maybe seen from from players like Anthony, who we've profiled recently. Um, but he is he sort of glides around the pitch. And, and as you said, I think his intelligence, decision making, his, his kind of maturity for someone who's yeah, still only 18 years old is is something that really kind of makes you sit up and take notice the stats, obviously, as you said, aren't groundbreaking at all by any means. Um, but I think, yeah, when you do watch him, you, you see um, how he hasn't got that fear to take anyone on. He's He links well with uh, his teammates. He, and I think the variety in his play is another thing. You know, he doesn't he's not someone who's just always looking to you know get to the byline and, and whip across in. He's someone who can happily kind of cut inside and, you know, play nice little triangles with with other players but and it just kind of picks up difficult positions to mark like in between the fullback and and the central defender without being necessarily one of these super goal driven front three type players he, he's definitely more of a traditional winger but someone whose future could well lie more in the center I mean uh, I don't know what you think his kind of career path in terms of position is, is most likely to be yeah, I, I think that's something that's very interesting because of his passing ability. He's so good passing the ball, and he's such an intelligent player. And like I said, he's got a quick first step to him, you know, that first touch. He can he can beat a defender with that, but he's not necessarily going to outrace your, your average defender down the wing. Now, granted, he can outrace a lot of Uruguayan right and left backs down the wing, but that's not exactly the most impressive <laughs> thing anybody can do. Um but his passing ability and his vision and his intelligence, yeah, I could see him shifting to the middle at some point depending on, on, on where he ends up and, and kind of the style that he ends up in. But to kind of showcase the, the intelligence and kind of the difference in his style of, of play, there was a, a moment against, I think it was Defensor Sporting, where the ball came to him, he was in his own half, and it looked like a great opportunity to just kind of, you know, chest it down, control it, and make a quick pass. And instead of that, he decided to, he ducked under the ball, let it bounce over both him and his defender, and then raced around the defender to pick it up. And there are just those kind mm -hmm. of moments when he just has this different thought than anybody else on the pitch, and that unlocks so many different spaces. It's pretty clear to tell that he's a different type of player than you usually see if you watch Uruguayan football. Uh, there's a couple moments where, you know, he's, he's near the sideline, He'll win the ball off somebody, and so often when you watch Peñarol or Nacional and the Libertadores, they'll just kick the ball literally as hard and as far as they can, either into the stands or up the pitch. But he takes that opportunity, he wins the ball, and boom, he makes a quick pass and tries to transition it into attack. And he just has that different style of play to him than so much of, of what you see around him. And I think that's part of what makes him so interesting and makes him so enjoyable to watch. Exactly. He's got that great just complete picture as if he's almost watching it from above in terms of what he wants to do and 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 I think what's what's great about him is not only does he have that maybe untypical uh Uruguayan characteristics he's also got the work rate that you would expect a uh, Uruguayan midfielder so the fact that he's got a bit of everything um certainly you know if you look at him you know he's got sort of a big sort of head well not a big head of hair but he's you know got like a that kind of swept back kind of uh teenage 
kind of look to him as if he's just like a um you know a bit of a guy who do- he doesn't want to get stuck in or anything like that but he's he's even though he looks like you know your, your typical elegant kind of midfield attacking midfielder going forward he can you know get stuck in yes he's still got the kind of the physique of of a young a younger man a, a teenager still then and, and that's something that you imagine will, will come with come with age and he can still work on his in his upper body strength and, and that kind of thing but i think crucially the you know the the work rate the the mentality there of of not just being a luxury player is is truly instilled in in him and and i think yeah in terms of where he might end up in in position wise he's someone who's versatile he he could be like one of these guys like nandez or or carlos sanchez who who kind of benefit from that narrow 4-4-2 that uruguay have typically played and they're basically a winger but they're often kind of keeping it fairly narrow and, and, and can operate in the centre of the park. Or, you know, he's someone who I think will probably more likely end up in a in a central midfield role, maybe not as um not as like a wide attacking uh forward, but someone who's who could play as a as a sort of central playmaker or can be the um sort of a box to box type midfielder in in a more of a kind of elegant gliding way than than usual. So it's definitely, as you said, uh, a, a raw player and there's still loads to improve on um, certainly I think that you know he needs to add a bit more in the final third his, his shooting does feel a bit sort of lacklustre you know sometimes you want to want him to put his foot through the ball and, and and he's only got one sort of lead goal obviously the physique is one thing and he's also uh, he is even though he has played on the left a bit he is very right footed um i think that's something that you know you'd like to see him work on because he's got the technique to to be a bit more diverse in terms of keeping defenders guessing certainly in terms of his movement is already there it's just maybe a few other aspects of his game that can that can still work on yeah i think the finishing is probably something that would stick out to just about anybody. And some of that obviously comes when you just look at the goal numbers, as we said, there's really not anything there. And then also in, in just watching him play, like you said, there are moments when he should be trying to finish and maybe he tries to make an extra pass or where he goes for kind of a, a cheeky chip finish or something like that. And like you said, put your foot through it, send it into the back of the net, see what you can do. That's probably, I think the, kind of on-field thing that he'll have to improve most, and then off the field, as you mentioned, just the physicality, the physique, and those are things that I think you can expect to come with time. He's a, a young 18. He's just made his Libertadores debut this year for Peñarol, so there is lots of time for him to kind of develop and, and kind of grow into his, his body and become more of a physical presence than maybe he is now. As far as maybe some transfer rumors for him, Tom, I saw during the the North American winter, Toronto FC from Major League Soccer were interested. Almeria in Spain were another club that were interested. But I think considering the the hype around Palestri, considering what we kind of project him to be as a future player, I would probably see Peñarol holding on for significantly more than that type of club coming in for him at this type of an age, don't you think? Yeah, they. I mean, they. In a way, they kind of seem slightly underwhelming for someone who we've you know bigged up and has got um, a lot of admirers um, within the game. So, part of me thinks that if he was to go 
right now, which I don't think is going to be on the cards because he's um, he's got a contract that takes him up to 2022 and there's a release clause in there of about $15 million. Um, so I don't think Penarol are in a position where they feel like they're going to need to sell him because they've made some you know big money on on Rodriguez and Darwin Nunez. And that would be an interesting link up if he wants to go to Almeria then he would be linking up with Nunez, who, uh, again, he wasn't someone who necessarily shone as much. Um, you know, he was in the under-20s, and he looked like a, sort of a, a strapping centre-forward, but he never really impressed me for the under-20s, but he's been on absolute fire ever since he moved to Spain. So I think if he was to go early, I wouldn't be surprised to see him go to maybe one of these clubs that are, are very much a stepping stone, but um, give him at least two years so where he can develop physically uh, as well as tactically out of the limelight before moving on to something bigger there's definitely been interest from the likes of Arsenal Atletico Madrid even Barcelona have have, have watched him closely so it kind of feels like for me he, he should sort of probably go somewhere in between the two maybe in a year or two's time it right now it feels like way too early for Kipenuel to try and cash in on on him and if they just wait a little bit longer then they're easily going to be getting certainly close to the you know between eight and ten million euros or uh, dollars that you kind of think would probably be enough uh, to tempt them into selling one of their their prize assets certainly there's maybe maybe I think sometimes when we these really young exciting players the temptation is to tout them to a really big club in, in in Europe but more and more we've definitely seen MLS as being um, a popular route certainly for Uruguayan players probably in a way because they're a lot cheaper to buy than than you know your Argentinians or your your Brazilian players so they they represent sort of sound investments that aren't going to sort of fail too much but I think even sort of I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he went to you know a top club within South America Raquel May is a fan um, and is you know potentially uh, looking to take him to Boca um, as as they did with Knight Hernandez and that worked out sort of really nicely for all, all involved so given that he's so young you kind of think that Peña aren't going to be able to hold on to forever he's still going to be young when he moves so perhaps just taking a little step before really um, heading you know, to to a to a European destination might be the be the best shout, whether that be one of the giants of the, of the continent or any kind of standard MLS club. Really, um, I think I think I feel like those seem like more obvious destinations right at this time of speaking than than maybe going straight across to Europe. Yeah, I think I'm definitely in agreement with you on that. MLS, as you said, has become an intriguing option, uh, particularly for Uruguayans, particularly for Peñarol players. We've seen that kind of pipeline be be opened up. Um, Rossi at, at Los Angeles FC is, is certainly one mm-hmm. that comes to mind. But even something like Palistri going to a place like Flamengo and, and playing under under Jorge Jesus or Atletico Mineiro and playing under Sam Pauli or going somewhere, you know, River under Gajardo, going somewhere where he could play under a, a really high level manager, you know, perhaps one with European experience could even be a smarter development move. Um, it would obviously help the, the big South American club. They would get a talent. They would get a, a future investment. But you could also probably see Peñarol probably easy, having more success being able to kind of hang on to 
future sell-on rights in that case, should they choose mm-hmm. to move sooner rather than later. Obviously, I think ideally they'd like to, to hang on to him for a while, but that simply might not be possible. I don't know that any South American club could hit that release clause, but they could maybe make that type of, of offer where Peñarol hang on to enough of a percentage down the line that it's worth their while now. The South American club gets him for a year, you know, 18 months, whatever it be, and then they can make the big profit on that next move because I think we're both in agreement that this move might not be the big one but the next one will yeah I think you're exactly right there you know I in terms of stylistically you could see him going to somewhere like River or, or Flamengo and, and slotting right in you know obviously De La Cruz uh, at River potentially when when he leaves um, then then you could see maybe a spot opening up for him and and again I, I think yeah, as as you mentioned there, with maybe a sort of a, a smaller fee for his first move, but a big sell-on fee. That's why I think the the Boca move could happen because they're them like Flamengo and maybe a couple of other clubs um, on the continent are probably got enough to maybe say, "Hey, look, we'll give you five million now. You can keep fifty percent of the player, and and then you know we'll sell them on for double or treble what we paid, and and you're going to still get um, a healthy." Um, investment basically so that's why I think that kind of route would make sense um, I, I think it's going to be really interesting obviously it's still such early days and and also um, talking of sort of managers to work under I, th- I think it's worth noting that obviously right now he's he's got the um, the pleasure of working under Diego Forlan it's, I mean someone who's are we sure it's a pleasure well I mean he's by all accounts he's, he seems like a, a stand-up bloke and um you know what he might lack in managerial experience he's got absolutely tons of of experience from playing all around the world sure. so you think that that would um at least certainly broaden his his horizons get some inspiration from a a cult well not even a cult hero just a hero of uruguayan football and and that certainly there'll be lessons he can take from that and probably be sort of well advised of of where to go so um i think that's going to be i mean just generally i think forlan as a manager is a really interesting um story and and the fact that he's got this young protege um under his wing um means that yeah we could be could be looking at an interesting well when football does resume again um an, an interesting theme there even if they aren't perhaps looking as strong as as they have been in recent years tom you bring up Forlan, you bring up Uruguay, you bring up cult heroes, and, and you'll have to permit me a very, very quick kind of sidetrack here. But during this, this quarantine period, obviously we're all looking for ways to stay busy, and I got sucked into a YouTube rabbit hole um, a couple of days ago and ended up watching the final couple of minutes of the Uruguay-Ghana match at the 2010 World Cup. Um, <laughs> and so obviously the the penalty for Ghana where Suarez, you know, plays it with his hand, goes off. Gian misses the penalty for Ghana. And then the the most surprising things to me about watching that on, and I think I'd watched it live back back in the day, but obviously didn't retain very much of it. The first thing is Gian's penalty and the penalty shootout is probably just about one of the best penalties I've ever seen taken, which is such a shame because he didn't do that when he could have just straight up won the match goes into the shootout and just puts his penalty absolutely into the top corner as perfectly as you could have struck it in the exact position where there's no chance anybody's going to save it ever, which is one thing that stood out to me. And then the second 
is the penalty that Sebastian Abreu, cult hero from Uruguay, is, is what got me on, <laughs> oh, the, yeah. on the on the the thought of it. The penalty that he takes then to win the shootout with all of this pressure to send Uruguay to the semifinals, and he just calmly panicas it right down the middle. Just a, a ridiculously fun 15 minutes, and I would highly encourage everybody to to go relive that again if if any of it has managed to slip your mind. Oh, I mean, it's an absolute classic, isn't it? And um, yeah, Abreu is is an absolute um, cult hero. Again, I think he definitely fits into that, isn't he? Um, he's got absolute nerves of steel to to go for his trademark Penenka. There's a reason why his um, his nickname is El Loco. Um, that won't come as a surprise to to anyone. And, and he's, I think he's now got the Guinness record for number of clubs that. He's, yeah. he's played at. I want to say, is he play, even player manager of yes. Boston River? You are yeah. 100% correct. That was a very good pull out of the hat from you. That is his current <laughs> title, yes. Player manager of Boston River in Uruguay. And even by that point, he'd played for, I don't know, 15 or 16 clubs. And the, I was watching on the FIFA page, so it was, you know, some English commentator who'd probably never heard of him before. Oh, he's played for 15 clubs so far. And then, you know, he takes the penalty and whatever. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you enjoy that my amazing? Yeah. Oh, mate, you've that you've surprised me at how good um, that kind of uh, yeah, com- English commentator voice that you've nailed down. You're, you're clearly uh, a linguistic master, probably adding some Argentinian Spanish to yes. the to the mix as well. Thank you. I'm 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 glad for your approval. I can pop another one in there. There was also a moment when I can't remember who it was for Uruguay. He's played 17 matches for University Chile, which obviously is Universidad <laughs> de Chile. But hey, when it's the 2010 World Cup, it's University Chile. It's all good. Uh, anyway, coming back from that <laughs> admittedly long, but also admittedly necessary sidetrack. Um, oh, yeah. Any Anything else on Palestri here that, that you want to add, Tom? I think we both kind of see the same sort of next couple of, years i guess if you will months years i don't know who knows time is very relative at this point um for him i think one thing i just want to emphasize is he's just really fun to watch and maybe it's just because he's playing in a league where there's just not that many players with his type of intelligence or his type of mind for the game but he really does kind of seem to see the pitch and see football differently and that's part of what i think makes him so enjoyable to watch yeah, definitely. It's kind of got that boyish enthusiasm about it, where you know he everything about him kind of looks like a like a kid still. You know that that typical young player who just doesn't respect anyone, not in a kind of cocky, arrogant way, but just kind of says, "Oh, I'm actually uh, I'm just going to do my own thing, and you guys are going to have to get used to it." I mean, I mean, even even his hair is is very kind of. Uh, sort of teenage boy band he's kind of got a bit of the pedro de la vega uh, about him he's yes. uh he could probably do with a, a bit of a tidy up there but um but yeah he's uh there's something kind of quite uh, a useful innocence to, to the way he plays um while still maintaining that kind of mature decision making if that kind of oxymoron makes sense there Tom, I will let you know here before we wrap up that he is not the only one that could do with a tidy up on his hair. I am also in that boat as somebody who a few weeks ago said that I could wait until we hit this break for the Libertadores group stage to get a haircut and now find myself under quarantine and unable to get a haircut. I and Polistri seem to be on the same type of, of follicle path at this point. So. <laughs> just just uh, claim that you're 
the you're repping the police tree look. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's it. Look like you know you're just going ahead with every every element of, uh, of sort of scouting young players that be like, oh yeah, he 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 had the haircut before it was cool. Yeah, sure. I'm definitely going to use that one. Um, I think on that note, we should probably bring this podcast to a close. We're both excited to see where Police Tree goes next. Be sure to follow the World Football Index on social media for all of the latest from us. All that's left for me to say now is thanks for listening and goodbye.